Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against the your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with fullness. Thank you, Evan and Amos, for reading today's passages. I think it's safe to say that the overriding message of our media outlets over the past two years has been and continues to be one of fear. Daily, we are reminded of the threat of an invisible enemy that is spreading rapidly, always adapting and taking lives. This constant messaging creates a state of anxiety and fear. Many find it disheartening. Some are immobilized. We're like my grandson in the snow in Montreal. Many of us feel like we have our heads in the snow and are asking ourselves how to get up and get going. How do we stand up and move forward in 2022? To guide our thoughts, let's look at two biblical examples, one Old Testament and the other New Testament. I'll not argue for a particular political or medical response to the pandemic, but I will encourage us to live in a direction. Permit me to review a few things I highlighted at the New Year's Eve prayer summit. Over the past two years, many leaders, pastors, and theologians have looked to the Israelite exile back in the 6th century BC, as an analogy of what we've been experiencing during the pandemic. Many believe that our COVID journey over the past two years, in some ways, parallels the plight of the Israelite exiles. So let's go to the book of Haggai. And before we go there, before we read chapter 2, allow me to provide some context. In the early 6th century BC, the people living in Jerusalem were forcibly removed from their land, taken captive by the Babylonian forces into exile. They lost uh, loved ones, their homes, their freedom, and the land they loved. Very much against their will, they were put into exilic lockdown. Then in 539 BC, 
Persia conquered Babylon. One year later, the, the Persian ruler, Cyrus the Great, permitted the return of Jews to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. This permission was received with much joy among the Israelite exiles. You can only imagine. They've been freed from exilic lockdown. They can go home. They can return to their worship times. They dream of returning to what they had experienced prior to the exile. What happened in actuality? The Jews returned to the land of Israel with much joy and hope, but not everyone returned. The experience was less than they expected. And they wrestled with internal enemies, uh, spiritual apathy, division within, and immorality. They faced external enemies. They became discouraged. Enthusiasm waned. Some wept. Their initial work on the temple stalled because of opposition. Eventually, the returning Jews began to focus on their own affairs, uh, their family income, their crops, and their own homes. They pursued what they thought would offer the best life possible for themselves within their circumstances. They began to believe it was not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. The temple lay in ruins. Was our church experience not somewhat similar in 2021? About six months ago, many returned to in-person worship across Canada, full of joy and hope, and it has been wonderful. But for many, it has been less than expected. Less people, less volunteers, questions about when people will come back and who will come back. And then a fourth wave of COVID comes together with an unusually cold season, and, and people begin to wonder, uh, will this never end? Let's go back to Jerusalem. In 520 B.C., the word of the Lord comes to a man who is praying, the prophet Haggai. The people are looking at their circumstances, their, their current condition, the state of the temple, their resources, their limited number, and they're discouraged. What does God say to the Israelite leaders, to Zerubbabel and Joshua, and to all the people? First, God acknowledges how the people feel. He knows what they're thinking, the comparisons they're making, Haggai chapter 2, verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? But he doesn't stop there with these questions. God continues, Haggai chapter 2, verse 4. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak. The, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Did you notice how God identifies himself? The Lord of hosts. This title, the Lord of hosts, appears 14 times in the book's 38 verses. God is the sovereign Lord, reigning over their moment. He guides their future, not fate. He will keep his word to them. The people should be strong. It's repeated three times because the Lord of hosts is with them. The Lord is with them by his spirit. Around the same time, a contemporary of Haggai, the prophet Zechariah, prophesies something very similar to the leader Zerubbabel. Zechariah 4, verse 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The people of Jerusalem should work with hope. <laughs> There's hard work to be done. People need to repent for, for spiritual apathy and immorality. There's physical work to be done. 
There's a temple to be rebuilt. God will enable them by His Spirit for the work. So can we receive this today as God's Word to us? Willingdon, be strong. Work because I'm with you by my spirit. I remain faithful to my word. Do not fear the evil one, the world around you, the future, or your circumstances. I'm on the throne. Do not work by your might or your power, but by my spirit. The Lord has been reminding me over and over again through his word and through God's people that 2022 will be a year of rebuilding. There is work to be done this year. Returning to the remnant in Jerusalem, the Lord continues speaking. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The Lord declares that he reigns over nature, over history, and over nations. All things belong to him. He will provide for his people. He will glorify himself through their work. He does not despise their day of small beginnings. He will bless the nations through them, and he will give them peace. Can we receive this as God's word to us today? Willingdon, I, the Lord, am reigning over nature, over history, over the nation, over your moment. I will provide for you. I will glorify myself through your work. I will bless the nations through you, and I will give you peace. Can we receive it? We must discern what the Lord is saying to us. And I believe we can receive this word for ourselves because all of the key pieces are repeated to the New Testament people of God, the church family. In a crisis, our heart response must be determined by God's word to us, not our circumstances. Now, let's fast forward about 500 years to the experience of the first disciples of Jesus. The promised Messiah has come. Jesus has gone to the cross and risen again. He has ascended to the Father. And what do they do? They devote themselves to prayer as they wait for the Spirit to be poured out upon them. Jesus has said this to them, Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on Jesus' disciples as tongues of fire rest on them. The crowds marvel at what is happening, and Peter proclaims the good news of Jesus. Thousands repent and surrender their lives to Jesus. This is how these first Christians are described in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The early church was marked, among other things, by devotion to prayer. How did this flesh itself out when they faced crises? Well, in Acts chapter 3, as Peter and John are going to the temple for afternoon prayers, a man lame from birth is being laid at the temple gate. He asks Peter and John for a donation. Peter turns to the man and says this, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. 
The man leaps up and begins to walk. Again, the temple crowd is astounded, and Peter seizes on the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. The healing, the preaching, and the positive response of the crowd draw the ire of the, of the religious leaders. They can't deny that the lame man has been healed, but they believe they must stop the preaching of Jesus' disciples. Peter and John are arrested and questioned. And then the religious leaders call Peter and John into their council meeting and command them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This witness to Jesus in Jerusalem, they say, must come to an end immediately. How does the church family respond? Well, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The first thing Peter and John do is return to their friends, their spiritual family. They report what has been commanded by the religious leaders. And immediately, the church family turns its eyes to God. They pray with one voice. Prayer unites the spiritual family before the challenges it faces. Here's the testimony of one of our younger members, Maddie. Over the past year or so, a group of kids at my school together, we've been praying together every lunch outside off of school property. Rain or shine, just coming together to express what's going on in our hearts, in our minds. Um, some concerns like scary things about high school that we're able to just come together and pray over one another in the school and just pray for what doesn't always get prayed for between school, homework, university applications, COVID and any other thing that scares us or just praise the Lord for what's going on in the life, whether we do one a test or we just feel like life's going well. Praying together helps Maddie and her classmates face the challenges of high school during a pandemic. Now listen to the testimony of er Ernie Kashima. We have a gentleman in our men's group that meets on Wednesday mornings. We've been individually sort of praying that uh, John's been over here for about five years, but his family hasn't been able to join him. And he has a wife and uh, five kids, and he hasn't seen them in over four years now. This week, instead of each individually praying about for individual prayer requests, we all decided we were just going to pray for John and for some re resolution around this situation and the very next day John received from immigration word that all his family's visas are being processed and so we're just celebrating with joy at God's answer to prayer once again and just the happiness that we know John must be feeling and we just thank God for showing us that uh, he loves us and he cares for us and he cares for John and his family and that he does answer prayer. Amen. God answers the united prayer of Ernie's men's group when they come together to pray over an immigration process. God loves to see his people celebrating answered prayer together. In the case of the first disciples in Jerusalem, in light of the religious leaders' power play and the danger they now face, the first disciples remember that God is the one with absolute authority and power. He's the creator of all things. He's the one who has all things in his hands. He's almighty God. They remember that God is sovereign over their moment. 
in a crisis, our prayers must be shaped by who God is, not our enemies. If the internal and external threats we face shape our prayers, we'll be driven by anxiety and fear. If God and his word shape our prayers, we'll be filled with faith and hope and courage. Our prayer life must flow from our theology based on God's word. In prayer, the first disciples remember that their sovereign Lord has spoken. Verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. These first disciples of Jesus quote from their scriptures, Psalm 2. This Psalm of David is a messianic prophecy inspired by the Spirit of God. In this psalm, the Spirit warns against people who will reject God's anointed, the Messiah. He will face hostile opposition. Certainly, the disciples have seen this happen before their very own eyes. Herod Antipas and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate and the rulers of Israel have conspired against Jesus, their Lord and Savior. Jesus was wrongfully arrested, falsely accused, and crucified. But Jesus was God's servant. God was actually accomplishing his purposes through their unjust actions. What happened to Jesus happened according to God's sovereign plan for the salvation of the whole world. Ultimately, the political and religious rulers plotted things in vain. In that same Psalm, Psalm 2, God promises to give his son the nations as his inheritance. This is now becoming a reality through the church. These first disciples see themselves as servants of God, called to witness to Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. They're the carriers of the gospel message to the nations. They know who they are. <laughs> their self-understanding flows from their understanding of who God is and what his plan is. If Jesus, their Savior and Lord, was rejected, they can expect to be rejected and threatened. In fact, the same powers who acted in opposition to Jesus are now threatening them. So, what do they pray? Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice that they do not pray for judgment on those who threaten them, but they do pray for strength in the midst of difficulty. They do not ask for the crushing of those who have threatened them, but they do pray for their own faithful, bold witness. In a crisis, our prayers must focus on our primary mission, not our personal well-being. The first disciples know their mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. They want to be faithful to God, not cower in fear before the social and political powers of their day. So they ask God to continue to work healings, signs, and wonders as they proclaim the gospel message. They ask God to authenticate their preaching, 
as he has already done in the healing of the lame beggar in chapter 3. Note that their primary mission is not to combat government policy, but to proclaim the coming of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. Their primary mission is not to secure their safety and health, but to carry the gospel to their city and all the cities of the world. If our prayers during the pandemic are only focused on our physical health, our financial stability, and the well-being of those we love, we will fail to live according to our primary mission in life. Our calling is to seek first the advance of God's kingdom and then trust our Father in heaven who knows all our needs to provide health, provision, and protection. How does God respond to the prayers of the first disciples? Well, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answers with a visible manifestation of his presence. The room is shaken. And they're filled anew with the Holy Spirit in answer to their expectant, faith-filled prayers. The filling of the Holy Spirit enables them to witness boldly. The room is shaken, but the disciples move forward unshaken. In a crisis, our action must be fueled by the emboldening presence of the Holy Spirit, not the fear messaging of our time. I think of a Willingdon member who today is in a restricted access country with her team. In the midst of the pandemic, witnessing to Jesus. Most of us would not visit the country she is in at the best of times. She is there despite the restrictions of an oppressive state in the middle of a pandemic. Why? Because she knows who her God is and she knows what she's been called to. That kind of courageous action should inspire us. A Willingdon prayer inspired by Acts 4 might read like this. Lord, you're sovereign over this moment in time. We face threats because of natural disaster, the pandemic, inflation, and the changing moral climate in our country. But we have our eyes on you. We trust you, Lord. Nothing will happen outside of your sovereign plan. We are your witnesses on earth today. So give us boldness. Strengthen our resolve. Fill us with your spirit. Give us the eyes of faith. May we seize every opportunity you place in front of us today to bring you glory. The first disciples of Jesus were devoted to prayer. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 encourages us to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. The phrase, be constant in prayer, can be translated as be, be persistent in prayer or be faithful in prayer. Our sure hope in God and our patient endurance through the struggle is nurtured by faithful prayer. In a crisis, the spiritual family is marked by fervent, persistent, gritty prayer, and God honors it. In summary, how do we answer the question? The question we began with, how do we respond to a crisis? When we find ourselves in a crisis, we gather for prayer with our spiritual family. Our heart response is determined by God's word, not by what we see around us. Our prayers are shaped by our God who is in control of all things, not by our enemies or our finite personal resources, 
Our action is guided by the primary God-given mission we've received, not by the popular agenda items of our time. And lastly, our action is empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit who is able to do much more than we could ever ask or imagine. May we live in this way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are sovereign over all things and sovereign over this moment that we are living through. Thank you that we can entrust our families to you. Thank you that we can trust, entrust our personal lives. Thank you that we can entrust our health to you, our financial situation, all things. And know that you care for us. God, may our prayers be shaped by who you are. May they be shaped by your word to us. And may we pray, Lord, faith-filled prayers. May we be focused on the primary mission that you have entrusted to us, to be witnesses of who you are, to proclaim your gospel, to be your people in this day. And may we be filled with your Holy Spirit, emboldened by you, so that we, Lord, together might bring you glory in this moment, at this time, because you have placed us here, Lord, as your people, to, to live out the wonder of your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to leave some questions with you for your reflection.